It's Wednesday, January 2nd. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Today we speak to a guy that most people love and hate. He is the inventor of the touchscreen keyboard autocorrect for the original iPhone. Sometimes autocorrect saves your life, other times it just gets in the way. We will speak to Ken Kushenda, who was a software engineer and designer for more than 15 years. He has a new book out about working during the golden age of Steve Jobs. I'll even ask why autocorrect always writes duck when you're trying to type out Next, it was a spectacular fall we all witnessed for a man once known as America's dad. Bill Cosby was sentenced to three to 10 years in prison for drugging and sexually assaulting Andrea Constan and was taken away after his hearing in handcuffs, an image that many thought they would never see. Cosby was accused of sexual misconduct and rape by 60 women. Claudia Rosenbaum, reporter for BuzzFeed News, joins us for more on Cosby and his classification as a sexually violent predator. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Well, first of all, I have to apologize to all those people out there that I've gotten in the way of their expletives over all the years. But here, usually we're frustrated when we want to put that salty language in and the keyboard autocorrects it out. But look at the opposite case. Let's say you're on vacation and you want to text your grandma to say how beautiful the ducks look on the lake. Well, you don't want that to go the other way, right. do you? Joining us now is Ken Kashenda. He was a software engineer and designer at Apple for more than 15 years. He is the inventor of the touchscreen keyboard autocorrection, which I love and hate. We're going to get into that in a little bit. Ken, you got a new book out called Creative Selection, Inside Apple's Design Process During the Golden Age of Steve Jobs. Let's talk about the autocorrect first, just because I know everybody uses it. Everybody's had their funny stories with it. How was that to invent this for the new iPhone? Uh, you know, you were working on it right when the original iPhone was going to be coming out and you knew you had to get this right. How was that? Well, it was stressful. I'll tell you, the whole plan for the iPhone involved getting rid of that hardware keyboard that was so familiar and so successful to smartphone users in the pre-iPhone era. I mean, everybody remembers the BlackBerry right. I had one. and it's nicknamed the Crackberry, which of course <laughs> is a comment on how well people like their keyboard on that device. And so the challenge for the iPhone was to take the hardware keyboard that everybody expected and change it to software beyond the actual touchscreen and all the gestures and everything that really was almost the most important thing about the new iphone is because that's you needed to compete with that other thing Right. And when the keyboard became software, it meant that it could get out of the way when you weren't typing. And this opened the device for apps so that you could look at full screen photos and play full screen games, turn the device to landscape and have that seem like a natural way to hold the device. So it was a key concept for the product from the beginning. How long did you guys work on the autocorrect and, and the keyboard for the original iPhone? The development effort, when I joined it, it took about 18 months to get from a very early days where we had just some simple concepts like inertial scrolling and springboard, the app launching screen, to the day that Steve was holding up a finished phone on stage, uh, announcing it to the world. So it was about 18 months of pretty intense work. Initially, you guys had to keep it secret because it, well, the iPhone had not really been announced yet or anything. So 
How was all the trials going with making this thing actually work? We had a way of approaching our work that was based on demos. We would come up with ideas and try to get a little bit of inspiration for how the software might work. But then we turned right around and tried to make something we could try out right away. When I was working on autocorrection, I would write a new piece of code. And as soon as possible, I'd grab somebody in the hallway or poke my head into the office next to me and say, here, here, come try this. And it was that process of making those demos and getting that feedback as soon as possible that then drove the round after round of refinement and improvement that made a shippable product from what was pretty humble beginnings. Let's get a little technical. How does it actually work, the autocorrect feature? A lot of times you're looking at keys that are next to each other and you have to make the educated guess to really figure out what you're trying to say. But so how how does this all work? For the original iPhone, the breakthrough idea idea was that when you type a word, what you're really doing is making a pattern. I like to think of it as each tap is a star and the pattern that you make when you type a word is a constellation. And so fortunately, it works out that most words look different from each other. So the constellations have a shape And if you look at the shape that a person types and compare it to all the words in the dictionary, usually there's a best match that that makes the most sense. So that was the key idea to to make a, a little bit of a pun there. The key idea was that when you type, you make pictures that look like words in a dictionary. Let's talk about bad words for a little moment. Everybody puts in a couple of salty things in their text messages sometimes, and it always changes it to something not so bad. Ducking comes to mind. How did you guys decide to use those as alternatives for actual words or even putting in those bad words? Well, first of all, I have to apologize to all those people out there that I've gotten in the way of their expletives over all the years. But here, here's a way to think about it. Usually we're frustrated when we want to put that salty language in and the keyboard autocorrects it out. But look at the opposite case. Let's say you're on vacation. You went and you rented a house on a lake somewhere. And there's some beautiful waterfowl out on the lake. And you want to text your grandma to tell her and send her a photo to say how beautiful the ducks look on the lake. (laughs) Well, you don't want that to go the other way, do you? So you really, what you're saying is you have everybody's back. Got everybody's back when they're texting grandma. Yep. That's good. And you guys had to research all sorts of different words and actually put them into the dictionary so that the feature would never choose those words. Yeah, right. There are some countries that even have laws that prevent the use of certain language. Mostly this comes into the area of hate speech. And certainly when we were putting out this product to be friendly and useful for people, we did not want the keyboard to seem helpful in Uh, typing slurs or demeaning people. That was just not the spirit of the product that we were trying to make. So we had to research what all of these nasty, horrible, awful words were, put them in the dictionary, but mark them especially so that the autocorrection algorithm would always skip them. It would recognize them, but it wouldn't give them to you. 
Tell us about the new book, Creative Selection, and and also working with Steve Jobs. He's such an icon now in the technological industry. He had kind of a reputation as being a jerk sometimes. What's your experience with all that? Well, I wrote the book to talk about those times when we were making the iPhone and Steve was still around making all the product decisions for Apple. And a big part of what inspired me was that I started at Apple in 2001 when Apple was an underdog. It didn't have the hit products that we just take for granted right now. And when I joined in June of 2001, the iPod hadn't even come out yet. That oh, was wow. four months in the future. And so I worked and and contributed to these changes that that took Apple from you know a five percent market share in the personal computer market to being a trillion dollar company. Now naturally a lot of other people had played their role too, but I was there working with some of them and, and contributing my part like the like with the keyboard on the iPhone. And so I wanted to tell some of the stories about those times and what it was like to demo to Steve and and try to get his approval. What was so that, that like? How does it feel getting approval from a Steve Jobs, you know, when he, yeah, when he well, actually likes is, something that you're giving him? Yeah, he could be pretty intimidating. I mean, it, the, the, the reality of it is much like the, the legend or, or what people believe. But here's the thing about Steve is that he was so focused on making great products. That's what he cared about. And so when people say that, well, he could act like a jerk, I don't really look at it that way. He was just very blunt and very clear in his criticism. So if I brought him a demo and if he didn't like it, if he didn't think that it was up to Apple standards, well, he said so. And he didn't waste any time trying to make sure that he didn't hurt my feelings. That I mean, was part of the culture of the company. You knew that you were going to get it loud and you're going to get it straight from him. And at the same time, if he liked your work, well, he could be very gracious and thank you. And he did thank me a couple times when I, you know, I finally worked through all the issues and brought him something that he was willing to say, yeah, that's ready to go into a product. But that's the best way to understand how Steve approached his role at Apple is he was the editor in chief. His was the last word and you needed to get his approval to get software or hardware or designs or, or anything into the Apple product and into people's hands. How did you feel about autocorrect when it had as its hiccups and, and whatnot on, on the process? Well, he was worried as we all were. We sometimes called the keyboard a science project, which kind of implies that it's a little researchy. <laughs> Most of the time when we started working on a project, we were pretty sure that we could deliver it and, and, and that it was the work and the time was into refining and honing and making everything as beautiful and well-created, well crafted as possible. That wasn't really the case with the keyboard. We didn't know if we could come up with a good solution. So all of us were in the same boat and I couldn't have done the work that I did if there wasn't this team of people around me giving constant feedback and support and sometimes a kick in the butt to just keep going and throwing out the weak ideas and keeping the strong ones. And you just keep, man, we, we just kept going. And eventually we, 
we, you know, came up with the solution that we all have now, right? As, uh, as I say, lobe it or gate it, right? <laughs> Love it or hate it. <laughs> right. Well, I'm sure as much as everybody can hate it at times, I, really everybody does thank you for it because we can't live without it. It's like you said, we'll be making mistakes all over the place. We're talking to Ken Koshenda. He created the touchscreen keyboard autocorrection for the original iPhone. He's got a new book out called Creative Selection, Inside Apple's Design Process During the Golden Age of Steve Jobs. Thank you very much, Ken. Thanks very much. For decades, the defendant has been able to hide his true self and hide his crimes, using his fame and fortune. He used his acting skills and that endearing uh, TV personality to win over his victims and then keep them silent. Finally, Bill Cosby has been unmasked, and we have seen the real man as he is headed off to prison. Joining us now is Claudia Rosenbaum, reporter for BuzzFeed News. You've been following this case from the very beginning, and we now find out that Bill Cosby, once known as America's dad, is getting three to ten years in prison for sexual assault, for drugging and raping Andrea Constan. It was like a two-day hearing that happened for the sentencing hearing. We saw the video of him walking out in handcuffs. What happened? This has been a long time coming. I mean, Andrea Constad, you know, this incident with Andrea Constad where she was sexually assaulted happened in 2004. So I just to give you a little history of the backstory, I mean, we had the first trial, which was a mistrial after the jury couldn't reach a verdict and deliberated for 52 hours. And then we had a second trial where after 14 hours of deliberations, they, you know, all came to the same conclusion and found Cosby guilty of aggravated sexual assault, three counts. So today's hearing was a two-day hearing they have to determine what sentence to give him. And the first order of business that they dealt with was whether Cosby will be declared a sexually violent predator, which after some discussion, the judge ruled that he would be a sexually violent predator for the rest of his life, meaning he'll have lifetime registration if and when he ever gets out of prison. And if he ever moves around, his community, his neighbors, all the schools will be notified Bill Cosby's in the area and get a picture of him. That is so crazy to imagine him just popping up on these websites and things like that, of all these notifications that you got to give. So he's in there a minimum of three years before he can be eligible for parole. Judge Stephen O'Neill during the hearing said no one is above the law and no one should be treated differently or disproportionately. This is a long time coming for you. And he gave a lot of weight to the victim impact testimony. Andrea Constant gave an emotional statement there where she talked about how Bill Cosby robbed her of her innocence and her energy throughout this whole thing. Yeah, Andrea Constant has put up with a, a lot. This has been her life for the past almost 15 years. She has brought the case to the police originally, you know, a, a, almost a year after what happened when she told her mother about it. She's been available to detectives. She's been, you know, testified at the first trial. The second trial, she had a civil case against her that she brought against him. And so, obviously, this has taken a huge toll on her life. I'm surprised, you know, when I see her that she's, she's so calm and she doesn't seem, you know, like she holds, like she really holds um, anything against anyone. You know, obviously her family also testified, her father and her mother and her sister about how they've noticed how, you know, this has affected her over the years emotionally. Part of the punishment included a $25,000 fine. Do we know what that's about? What that's for? It's 
was to Andrea Konstad, you know, a victim fine. I, I haven't really researched it, but but since then, actually, the district attorney posted that Cosby is to pay another $46,000 to reimburse the district attorney for all their experts that they wow. flew in and paid, and for Andrea Konstad and all the people who testified against him. So he has to pay for that now, too. Prosecutors at the onset of this wanted anywhere from five to 10 years. The defense was asking for house arrests and things like that. They were saying, you know, Bill Cosby is legally blind. He's old and vulnerable uh, and he he couldn't do all that time in jail. So they were asking for house arrest. Yeah, I spoke to actually, um, you know, the prison where Cosby will be eventually going. They just built this new state of the art prison that's near the courthouse. It's called Phoenix. And I spoke to the spokesperson of the prison over there and she said, he's not going to be alone. He's not going to be the only elderly person there. In Pennsylvania, they have life without parole. They have a, a sizable elderly population at that institution. So they're not making exceptions for those people for being old. They're not going to make an exception for Bill Cosby. Right. And and when he gets there, they say that staff are going to assess his physical, medical security needs. And it's quite possible he could even end up in a long-term medical care unit there. It's very doubtful he's going to be mixing it up with anybody dangerous. Well, I did ask them what arrangements are going to be made for Bill Cosby at the prison when he finally goes to the prison. And they said, you know, originally they've had other celebrities before. They have Jerry Sandusky currently in prison and they had Meek Mill. They they said originally both those people were kept in, you know, isolated, secure cells without mixing with the general population. But then it was later determined that there was no risk to them. So they're in the general population. And what's been the reaction so far from both sides of the legal teams? I know that a lot of the victims have been very happy with the sentence that came down. What are they saying and what are Bill Cosby's team saying? Janice Dickinson put out a statement. She talks about how the harrowing memory of this rape continues to this day for her and that she has reoccurring nightmares and she wakes up in fear that the rape is etched into her soul of what he did to her and that she'll never be the same. And a lot of the other people talked about that as well. They did a press conference and the victims came and they made their statements. But they said they sort of felt better now that he was locked up and he was in jail. It was at least like helping them in a way, put it behind them. For Cosby, his spokesperson came out and just issued very strange statements saying that this was the most racist or sexist trial he had ever seen and they were all lies of this trial yeah. and he talked about how Jesus was persecuted and not saying Cosby is Jesus but we know that this country has done to black men for centuries. It's and a hard sell when more than 60 women came forward accusing Bill Cosby of all the same stuff. The stories were nearly identical across the board so I know his team is going to appeal still so that could drag out the process again. A lot of people are making a big deal of what his first meal is going to be out there. You told me that you got word of it, what that is. What's well, going to be? He's county facility right now where he could stay there between like weeks or days or months. They don't know how exactly how long he's going to be there. And TMZ put out that he's going to be having pudding or, or something in one of his first meals, which is kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. What a spectacular fall for such a respected man at one point. Claudia Rosenbaum, reporter for BuzzFeed News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Oscar. All right, that's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. 
follow us on iHeartRadio, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.